Welcome to The Unknown Unknown. Tonight with Grace Cradell, we expand the history of spiritualism past, beyond, and through the Fox sisters. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. There's lots more to read in the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And here we go. Boom. We're here. We're live. Right in Lilydale. Um... Quick note, if anybody is on Blog Talk and can't hear us, go on to Facebook.com slash LilydaleNY, and you can watch us and hear us there, hopefully. Um, If you can hear us on Blog Talk or anywhere else, and you want to call in, the number is, hold on, don't have it memorized yet, 818-739-8818. Love to hear. From Wait, it's an eight one eight number. Yeah, that's is that where you're from? Yeah, that's a. That. Yeah, that's exciting. Where is that in the world? Um, the valley the in valley. Los Angeles. Yeah. Wow, cool. So we're kind of in the valley right now too. If you're calling us anywhere else, so you might be wondering, who's this? This Who is my. I? This is my good friend. Um, Grace has been here actually all weekend, and we've been doing all kinds of amazing things. And sleeping, eating, a lot of, a lot of menstruating, that That too, that too, a lot of walking in the woods on Friday. It was the 175th anniversary of the Fox sisters event, uh, where they heard the raps and responded to them and then were, you know, responded back to, Yeah. And we went to Hydesville, where it all happened, and went to, it was, it was winter that day, it was winter, and we, there was a spiritualist church service, and a historical commemorative day. We sang together, we sang. and we, we sat near the, the literal foundation yeah. in of it. spiritualism. Yeah. yeah. In it. On top of four feet of fill in the basement, is what we sat in. Yeah, for like four hours. <laughs> it was it was it was expensive. It was pretty cool. And Tiffany and I earlier this year made a pilgrimage to Evergreen Cemetery in Queens. Um, I live in New York City, and yeah, we finally made it out to the Fox Sisters double grave. They didn't have a grave for many years, mm-hmm. and then spiritualists got them a headstone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because they were actually put in a part of the cemetery that was, like, for paupers. Yeah. And the, the headstone they got is a little hard to find. Uh, we were hunting around for a while. But it's really nice. And we, we had a team. We, we did. were a we team. A team. Yeah. yeah, team. Yeah. But it's nice. And actually, when we were there, a, uh, like, very large branch had fallen off of a tree onto the grave. And it... We kind of moved it a little, so then it felt like decoration a little. Remember that? It was like, yeah. like there must have been a storm or something, but it felt like decoration. It was really kind of cool. Um, we hung out with them. We did. We were there for a while, and it was the it was Maggie's birthday. I think it was like the day before, the day after. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was also two days before my birthday. Yeah, a couple years later. And then we got ice cream and yeah. celebrated Tiffany. Yeah, yeah. After we celebrated Maggie <laughs> and Kate, um, yeah, it was really it was really fun 
I loved doing that. I highly recommend anybody who hasn't been to these sites and others of people you know and love in spiritualism and whatever your practice is, like, there's something magical about going to the physical place. Yeah. Like, the gravestone, the place where they live, like, being in the space where they in- they actually inhabited. Yeah. And, yeah, paying your respects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having a little conversation, like... We talk about them so much, but how often do we talk to them, you know? And it doesn't have to be some big thing where we're like, you know, you don't have to have like a seance or something or have bring messages, just like having conversation, paying respects, saying thank you, like. Touching ground. Touching ground. They've changed our lives. They've changed so many lives. And actually at the, the event on Friday in Hydesville that was put on by a bunch of different spiritualist organizations, Lilydale, the NSAC, the um, SNU, then the International Federation of Spiritualists, which I didn't know about before this, a bunch of independent churches, anyways, lots of people. And um, some of the people had been involved, like the, the caretaker of the grounds and the head of the NSAC, Cozy Allen, had been working for a really long time to get a plaque commemorating that space and like a you know those if anyone lives in New York and you drive around you see the blue and yellow signs that are like historical markers like Grace noticed one today in our neighborhood that is the first cheese factory in Chautauqua County um I was really excited about that I'm a big fan of cheese I really wish it was still there yeah it'd be really nice um a local cheese factory uh, but there's like now a plaque that says this is where the Fox sisters. I don't remember the exact words, but it's. I think they had to be really careful about what they said, so. It's a little like, opaque. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Because they had to say something that is. Totally factual, like it can't be any opinion, or, like it has to be like they lived here. And then they were a big they, part of spiritualism or something. They you know? engaged in activities yeah. significant. That's, it's, it's something like that. To the development of, yeah, quote-unquote, modern spiritualism. And Tracy, I can't remember her last name, but Tracy's the caretaker. And she's actually the one that wrote it. And she talked about how she, like, rewrote it. Yeah, over and over the editing again. process. Yeah, to get something that would work. And then if you think about comparing it to what the Cheese Factory sign said, it's like, okay, it makes sense. It needs to be consistent. Like, yeah, like government cheese across the nation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Historical government cheese. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, so where are we going next, Tiffany? <laughs> That's a good question. Who do we have left to... I mean, they're sort of top of the list, but now you're right. The list has been that list has been checked. We've been to birthplace and not birthplace, but death place, and and they didn't die or or be born in either of those places. So I guess we need to figure out where they died and where they were born and go there. I haven't stood at like their working addresses in the city, and um, we also haven't been to Leia's grave at uh, Greenwood Cemetery. It was at, oh, it's Brooklyn. at Greenwood. Yeah. Okay, that's definitely on the list. Yeah. 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 Okay. And a little research and figure out where they were born and died and go there, too. Well, and so let me do a proper introduction. Um, Grace, 
who I met in 2020. Um, I did a spiritualist book club on morbid anatomy, and Grace was there, and I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I can't wait to be friends with this person. And it turns out I am now. <laughs> but I felt totally ditto. Ditto. Did you? Oh, yeah. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> it was mutual. Like this one. Yeah. yeah. Meant to be. Um, and Grace is a historian, a psychic, a community organizer, a writer, a matchmaker. They do so many amazing things in this world. Um, and I mean, that's one of our big, one of the things we love to talk about is especially, I mean, those are a lot of things that we probably both, I also dig, but like this big overlap we both have in um, the psychic realms, mediumship, all of this work and history and like getting into the depths of like what really happened. And maybe Grace, you can just tell us a little bit about what you just spent the last couple of years doing. Yeah, um, <laughs> no pressure. So I am a descendant of spiritualists, um, but West Coast spiritualists who haven't received the same amount of coverage as East Coast spiritualists, which makes sense. Um, and I'm a descendant of Quakers too, and Quakers are really important to the Fox sisters story. Mm -hmm. um, but I noticed, so I entered grad school and I was like, I'm a psychic um, and a feminist. I entered a women's history program and I just didn't know where to start. And I ended up just starting with my own ancestry. And I quickly realized that there's this like cottage industry of academic books being written about spiritualism. It's a really hot topic it's blown up year after year there's a new monograph and so I started out just reading the literature and honestly I was bored by a lot of it I have like a specific memory of being in like the student center at Sarah Lawrence and you know like reading this book and I was just like god I want to practice and like don't these people who've written these fucking books want to practice too like I was actually like sketching out a design for like a new Ouija board mm. um and, you know, it's like, this history is not boring, you know? Um, not boring. And, like, I'm sure the scholarship is not boring to a lot of folks, but as a working practitioner, it didn't speak to me. Um, and also, every book starts out with this founding story of the Fox sisters, and I just wanted to push on it a little bit because it felt to me a little bit like a fairy tale. And... I was like, what's behind it? You know, like, what's over the hedge? Which is something you also ask yourself as a psychic, you know? And so I started doing newspaper research. And I started to look at the decades prior to, like, official spiritualism in New York City, where I live and practice. And I used search terms like um, clairvoyant, also astrologer, fortune teller. I was looking at dominant professional monikers for women engaged in occult work. And through doing that, I stumbled upon this popular occult text called The Prophetess that came out the week that the Fox sisters were arriving to New York City. And I was like, that is not a coincidence, folks. Um, this woman or the team behind her, there's a lot of mystery um, with the prophetess 
it does refer to like the real life practice of Madame Rockwell, who is a fortune teller in New York City at Barnum's American Museum for almost five years. Um, and she launched this book the week that the Fox sisters were coming to town. And it was known that they were arriving because there's this whole publicity engine behind the Fox sisters work. And in that book, and she also like published it in Horace Greeley's paper, which is another, it's not a coincidence because that was the paper um, that was championing the Fox sisters. So she knew their audience or the, the team behind her did. And this book for one says like, <laughs> like, hey, I was here before the arrival of what she calls theatrical claptrap. Oh, um, cool. And I'm like, I really, you know, it's like you think about the knocks and the way that it was presented. And yeah, it was very theatrical. You know, it was, it was like mediumship that was constructed to be performed for a large audience. And this woman was also middle aged. And so she also like quipped that it's like the mystic gift doesn't like commonly come to the young. Mm -hmm. She put it in a much, uh, more poetic way but um yeah and, and if you think about like the stereotype we have of female occult practitioners it's usually a crone right mm -hmm. you know it's mm -hmm. um it's a grandma with tea leaves and so with that text I was like there's a story here and I wanted to look at the occult like revival that was happening in New York City and sort of this like foundation that was built for people like the Fox sisters and this more underground economy. And these worlds intermix and they can't be separated. And so one thing that I did in my thesis was just sort of like call scholars to action and be like, like, can we look at the categories you've constructed and how blurry they are? And like, yeah, I, I think more work needs to be done like with this time period because we've consistently like elevated spiritualist practitioners over all sorts of occult workers who, yeah, their practices were me really meaningful to their communities and um, their work deserves to be resurrected and understood because the Fox sisters didn't just come out of nowhere. And the reason that they were so popular is because there was already an audience for this work there was already a long history of like cosmopolitan New Yorkers going to fortune tellers and like in their minds this work probably fit like it was more of an extension of, of what was already there than something totally totally different although like I also want to respect how novel the Fox sisters mediumship was mm -hmm. and what it must have felt like to have this visceral presence this like knock in the room at something that could be like universally felt versus getting a reading where you're just trusting the practitioner right and what they're saying or communicating mm -hmm. about um, the unseen world that's such a good point that reminds me of I mean I feel like we've talked about it a couple times just in the last few days of how helpful it can be to have something that the that people can interact with as well and like how tarot is really helpful in that sense because there's something everybody's looking at the same thing or astrology yeah. like you're all looking like the client we're all looking at the same thing and it just it just makes things a little bit easier right there's one less step and 
you know, we don't have that with mediumship anymore, but it is really, I hadn't really thought about that with the knocking and how, how kind of brilliant that is um, to bring that in and what that might have felt like in a room. Yeah, and it was described as like directional, you know, like mm-hmm. that it wasn't just like heard right around the Thoth sisters' bodies um, and that it, it like became a viral sound in the city. Oh, know? like... People are like knocking and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it was a sound that was important to the women's rights movement at the time. Um, and you know, there was there was a song about the Fox Sisters that that was popular, and like you know, like you can imagine being in the city at the point of this arrival, where it's like people are picturing the knocks, hearing them, doing it just for fun. But you know, mm-hmm. like it signified the arrival of something really exciting. Oh, I love um, that. And it made people want to practice at home. And, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, it's like, let's start our own knocking band, you know, like, and, and that part of like the Fox Sisters legacy really speaks to me because like the way that I connect to it the most is like seeing it almost as this like prototypical like female rock and roll, you know, where these women are able to like physically express themselves in ways that they hadn't before and scream and say things and, and talk like, dirty sailors because you know we're like right they're channeling yeah mm-hmm. and yeah they're moving about and then these sounds are coming through and like that whole soundscape must have been so radical mm-hmm. you know um to the ears and also eyes mm-hmm. and like <laughs> so men love seeing women perform in this way and you know a lot of a lot of the stars of spiritualism were easy on the eyes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that's discussed in the historical literature. It's like men, men following these women around town just to, because they were hot to see. Yeah, <laughs> magical, hot, magical women. Yeah, yeah. like a- able to, you know, move and express themselves in these ways that you wouldn't see in the more buttoned-up Victorian parlor. Where, right. Um, right. They're mysterious. But they have this respectability that wasn't seen before, either both like on the stage, like women weren't respectable, quote unquote, respectable women weren't on stages, respectable women, quote unquote, weren't doing messages, message work, occult work. Performing for promiscuous audiences, these audiences of men and women. Right. Yeah. But these were pretty buttoned up ladies. Yeah. They weren't, you know doing something really radical and so like the fox sisters like they would sing christian hymns Mm -hmm. before they performed um because they wanted to make sure that you knew that this wasn't devil's work um and there's this like there's this sort of lie that's been repeated in multiple texts that at their home they said um they they called to the rap's as like Mr. Splitfoot, which is like like a term for the devil. And and that's just not true. It's something that's been like inserted later, but it's really alluring. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, there's this there's a standard tale that gets told about them. And it's like there are these magical words that get repeated over and over. And it's sort of like the the rich the ritual telling of mm-hmm. um the so called beginning of modern spiritualism which i hadn't really put into that context like that literally until we were talking about it the other day and it was like it's our origin story it's like 
like in the Bible, like the, you know, Christianity has the Bible and we have no Bible, but we have the Fox sisters. That's like where, you know, where it came from. And that's cool. Cause it's funny. I always used to say like, this is a religion with no origin story <laughs> or no, like, you know, cosmology and origin story and stuff. And there really, there really is. Um, yeah. And it's an important, important story. And we got to like, we, you know, basically got to go the equivalent of, you know, Jesus's place of, I don't know, resurrection or something. Movements <laughs> need beginnings, yes. you know, they, but, but it's also important to recognize how that story obliterates others. And mm-hmm. like, one thing I found in my research is there were a lot of other mystical prophetic women who were making newspaper headlines prior to their work, like, um, you know, and, and like spiritualism comes out of like tent revivals and mm-hmm. like just a time of like a lot of experimentation in the in the spiritual realm and and like cross cultural contact that's that's putting new tools and languages on the table and you know that also gets to appropriation, you know, and like there's there are scholars who think that spiritualism came out of this white abolitionist practice of um like sort of like mimicking slaves and giving giving voice to oppressed people and and performing these others for a stage like in a stage like activist setting in order to rally people to the cause and so it's like it's important to like look at these Mm -hmm. origins more well, closely. It's always left out that uh, many Black people in the United States at that time practiced much more ancestor and spirit-oriented religion and spirituality, and that's that's left out of it a lot. And there's no way that there was no interaction when people didn't see that that other you know, that white people didn't see that black people were doing that or hear about it or, you know, know yeah, what was going influence. on. Just, I mean, that's, it. and the Native American influence has been huge and it's a little more talked about, I think, um, and how much, you know, there was spirit guides and there was, it was such an important part of early, and actually all the way through all spiritualism has had a lot that it, um, you know, needs to credit the Native spiritual practices of this place and like spiritualism could be really cannibalistic or it's like oh this is spiritualist this is spiritualist too like look, looking at these practices and almost acting as if they'd invented them or that they were like the the natural precursors to this like spiritual perfection that then was like being espoused by white people as the answer you know like um and like the new age comes from this time period and sometimes credited to this guy like Stephen Pearl Andrews um, who is an activist and a weirdo and yeah it, it it's like it's like when white white people like don't look at what like the work that's already been done and then they're like look what I found <laughs> this is the new shit like I invented this like um and I mean, the, um, to me, my more realistic view of what happened is we wanted that. Like, I want to talk to the dead and it's important. And, you know, 
we tried it and it happened and we figured it out but it was sort of in our consciousness from a bunch of different places and I found a way to do it that feels okay to me like I do like that spiritualism like you know it wasn't like they were actually taking full scale another practice they like took all these little bits and pieces and maybe not even knowing they were really doing it and made up something that really fit the people the time and the place you know like it was so natural the way it came out of the two girls in Hydesville right like I don't know it's it's really we were also we're talking about how it couldn't have come out of like it it couldn't have exploded the way it did it was a marketing like they they were the perfect marketing tool for this practice to like that people could accept it because they were like normal people and they were young girls and there were all these things Odd about the news. them mm-hmm. yeah that made it their innocence mm-hmm. um it, like captivated people and like made it okay and they just sold really well mm-hmm. like who could like you know it's like who doesn't want to see three sisters perform the show like you know it was so exciting and different and like who it's like who knows what could happen in that setting um what information might be revealed um it's kind of feels like a miracle sometimes like it's that's what it took but it's like it's like a little spark you know that like lit this thing and here we are now 175 years later talking about it yeah like making our lives about it in some sense like you just spent a few years really in the depths of yeah not talking about the fox sisters no, no. <laughs> well specific like specifically my work it's like not that I wanted to avoid them but I was like so many people have talked about them and perpetuated this myth like and it's I say myth just because because it's an origin story now yeah um yeah and yeah I wanted to give credit to all of the other people on the scene before during and after who haven't been given significant attention and that's partially because like there hasn't been there isn't like an extensive paper trail like you have with the mm-hmm. Fox sisters, but even with the Fox sisters, you know, it was like they were they were buried in a pot without a headstone, you know, like even even their legacy as celebrities in their day haven't been preserved, and you know, like I can't re- like really think of a museum that's well right. funded that's right, um, yeah exhibiting their legacy but there are a lot of popular articles about them and a lot of books and meanwhile uh, there are a lot of practitioners whose names we don't know um and that's also because a lot of these work a lot of occult workers historically haven't wanted to be mm-hmm. uh, known because anti-divination laws exist in the, in this country to this day and so, like, what I found in my research is just how many people performed under aliases. And, you know, I had so many dead ends in my research. And um, I really put pressure on myself at times because I was like, you are a psychic grace. Can't you just, it's like, it's like peel back, you know, and get and get the name or 
the place and I like I found that I couldn't just you know <laughs> download tap in and I was also just overwhelmed by you know the massive unknown in this research project um it's got to be kind of hard to switch back and forth between like rational like digging through materials reading like piecing things together all of that like detective work and then trying to like jump into you know tapping into what their names could be in psychic work like that's that's a that's a jump like how did how like yeah. tell us like actually doing that like would you do it in the same moment like did you have to stop and like take a break or what was it like I actually consulted a psychic at one point, Asher Hartman, um, because I got stuck and I felt like I wasn't doing justice to these working class practitioners. And one thing he said to me, you know, he was like speaking in their voices, like, like, do you know what we do? Do you know, like, who we are? Are you stupid? Like, we, we are part criminal part criminal, part seers, and, like, I think I felt, like, it was, it was almost, like, the respectability politics of spiritualism had rubbed off on me, mm -hmm. and, um, in trying to create a space, um, for these other practitioners who I actually felt more of a kinship with than the Fox sisters, like, I, I didn't want to like look at um the aspects of their trade that like might read as like unsavory to others like I you know like I felt like I wanted to protect them and um because psychic work and I'm I'm using the moniker of psychic even though it wasn't dominant back then like it was connected to all sorts of underground industries and um there's a scholar I really like Shane White who uses the term culture brokers um, for psychics and occult workers because people were coming to them to fulfill all kinds of underground needs. And these people were, you know, they were rooted in neighborhoods where, like, you know, like, they're talking to everybody on a daily basis. So they, like, they actually have a pretty good picture of, like, the local future, you know, and they know how to get stuff done. So, like, people would come to female fortune tellers to get referrals for divorce lawyers. Um, they would go to be connected to abortion services. Um, and there are, you know, newspaper stories I read where women died on the table of fortune tellers, you know, like, um, and that's hard to take in, you know, because it's like, you want to be able to say, like, my people, like, <laughs> you know, like, um, there's no fraud and you know we're like wanting to present them as like the jane collective or something when the you know re the reality of of dead women who might have been vic you know like victims um and like it's it's really hard to know the motives of these workers and um I, I, like if they were truly like champions of women you know like I'm I'm painting with like a, a broad brush here but like it does seem like they were trusted local allies in a lot of cases or like um these women were known by their communities and 
they were considered to be like resource people um and they were very connected mm-hmm. um it sounds like they probably also on the other hand didn't have a lot of resources themselves it's not like there was organizations that they didn't have like a name to back them up or a degree or a pedigree or like a church yeah. or they were kind of on their own and like making it work yeah and like you know, spiritualism is called a science, and it allied itself with science from the beginning. But what I found is that practitioners in New York City were were doing that way well before spiritualism. Like, like they were they're using scientific discourses to prop up their work, and they were rebranding themselves and refashioning this trade. And they're like, we're not the fortune tellers of your, you know, like this isn't some mysterious mystical shit, like. I'm engaged in a scientific methodology and like they would self-style themselves as professors and doctors. Um, so this is like a, a trend in occult work prior to spiritualism. And like, it's an important to remember when we're like trying to fix a timeline to things or we're talking about, you know, origin stories or yeah. Who's the, who's the original. Um, and of course people were practicing mediumship before modern spiritualism and that's something that that text the prophetess i mentioned like that's specifically mentioned and she even says like i wish i could devote more of my time to mediumship and these like angelic realms but like you know what i'm engaged in like bread and butter fortune teller shit because i'm at barnum's american museum and this is what the people are asking Mm -hmm. and like i serve the people and you know like Barnum's American Museum was a place where um, working class folks rubbed shoulders with middle class folks. And, you know, the upper class also went there because it was like, some people call it like the Disneyland at the time. But if mm-hmm. like you were in New York City and you're a visitor, you're like, oh, am I going to get to go to Barnum's American Museum? It was a family friendly place. Women felt comfortable going there on their own. And there's a story that like um, P.T. Barnum asked the Fox sisters to perform there, but they said no. But to this day, you can Google like Barnum's and the Fox sisters and you'll find articles that say that they did perform there because um, because people today can picture them there. Mm-hmm. Um, they can picture them alongside like the Fiji mermaid because today like, um, yeah, popular articles, you know, like recognize the Fox sisters as broad. So it, it makes sense that they might have appeared in that cultural context. But um, the Fox sisters are really savvy and they're like, we're not going to perform mm-hmm. at Barnum's American Museum because we don't want to be associated with riffraff, shall we say. And so when they made their debut in New York City, they were at a really posh hotel. And only the city's, like, intellectual elite were, like, invited in. And um, Horace Greeley was like, you should charge $5, which was a shit ton of money yeah. back in <laughs> back in the day, you know. Um, and Emily was like, oh, no, we can't charge that. But, like, so, like, in The Prophetess, Madame Rockwell's also saying, like, I serve everyone, and, like, you're... <laughs> You know, you're kind of, uh, you're, 
what's the word? You're posh. Mm. <laughs> You're posh and a little exclusive. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a difference that's important to reflect on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, there are so many people who were seekers back then, just as there are so many seekers today. Like, we're in another revival period, and um, seekers probably went to occult workers high and low. Mm-hmm. And that's important to acknowledge. Um, but these, like, distinctions that scholars imp- are imposing on practitioners in retrospect, like, they, they, you know, I, like, I personally get readings from storefront psychics, from people who, you know, charge hundreds of dollars an hour, like, and I, I think that was probably, you know, it's like if you were an explorer of this world, like, you're going to investigate, and, um, and these people likely knew each other, too, like, the practitioners themselves, they had, I always like to picture, like, what it must have been like for occult workers in New York City as they're learning about the Fox sisters mediumship, and they're like, oh, shit, we're gonna have to, like, learn how to (laughs) do this, too, because people are gonna be asking us Mm -hmm. to do the wrapping thing, and so we gotta figure out how to do this, and um, one thing I found is that, like, there are tons of working class practitioners who called themselves spiritualists, who weren't um, associated with the official movement, but it was, a, it was a way to market their practices to more genteel audiences. You know, they, they wanted the bougie people to step through their doors. So they're like, we're going to give it to you like you like it. You know, <laughs> like, you want that wrapping stuff? Like, we can do that. You know, like, we can do all of it. <laughs> just like tiffy and i can do all of it you know yep do a woman's show right here right now i mean that's kind of like something i've thought a lot about is how the overall arc changed with technology of like when our brains can think about telegraphs because they think about dot dot dash they can do knocking and then like it evolved from there and i hadn't thought about it like in the moment and like how it must have like spread through practitioners and it's really interesting to think about people like it's funny to me to think about people trying to figure out how to do knocking but i actually i fully i believe that if you can imagine it and you can practice it long enough you can probably make it happen you know i'm sure people had fraudulent stuff like i'm not saying that didn't happen but i really think that if you're doing this stuff and you work at it for long enough whatever it is in your mind that you're like this is how i want to work then you can kind of make it I don't know, make it happen. That's just what I think. So I'm imagining, I'm loving that thought of imagining practitioners like, you know, expanding into knocking. Like maybe we should do that. <laughs> yeah. And like, same, same with the telegraph, like electricity was also like a scientific concept that, that was being like actively appropriated by the mystic community. And, you know, they're like, there's this we're understanding how energy flows between people and how it's held in the individual body. And this is a way we can describe how it's possible, you know, that, that these things are transmitting between us or that I can receive. And so like, yeah, these folks were really like smart about um, languaging their practices in scientific terms and 
staying current with technology and you know today we can see how intertwined like Absolutely. the tech world and mm-hmm. the quote-unquote woo-woo in a cult world mm-hmm. is because like um the wraps themselves are technology yeah yeah right. exactly these are all tools spiritual technologies yeah tools yeah absolutely yeah. i wonder what ends next i mean i'm like i'm sure two people were thinking that back then like what like totally. and like mediumship like that's how it started progressing into more and more physical forms because also mm-hmm. people got tired of just the wraps you know they were like I mean, can you imagine how long it would take it's like okay yeah. you know say because they did it with alphabets for a while didn't yeah. they so yeah. it'd be like okay grace's name would be like what's what's your name spirit and it'd be like a b c d e f g and then they'd stop is that how they do it or they would say all the letters and it'd knock at g something like that anyways that would take a long time yeah so people were waiting on short answers you know and then taking turns so you'd you'd be waiting for it to be your turn to receive a piece of information so yeah mediums also had to like increasingly up the ante Mm -hmm. in order to to meet audiences expectations for the progression of this work because it was a time where people were like things are just like we're finding out new stuff all the time like things are advancing so quickly so it was really this like kind of mania for for cult work and like where could it go next and yeah then you get like ectoplasm right right and like wow yeah these other expressions of physical mediumship that trumpets um, are very controversial right in the community today but um yeah, you can understand that an audience, you know, is like gets bored of something and is like, and it takes <laughs> someone with some creativity, yeah, and some skill because if you're, if you've practiced this stuff, especially if you got, I mean, you're not experimenting with clients in front of you, but you're in your friends, you know, you're in a circle, and it's hard enough to do the regular thing you already know how to do, but like experimenting and coming up with something else. Like, I'm going to sit here with this trumpet till I can figure out how to make it work or, like, whatever it is people are doing. Like, that takes serious time. And that's, like, something I think that's hard to put into context because also these days you can learn mediumship really fast. And back then I just don't think you could. Like, even my teacher said, you know, she learned sitting in circles for decades you know, like that was it. You sat in circles once a week for decades till it worked. And now it's like you go to a weekend class and somebody's taught you everything they've ever learned in those 30 years in, in circles. And then it's just faster. You know? And it's like, I also have to think about like making this work consumable for audiences, you know, and they were expecting a show. They did consider it to be entertainment. So like, you know, psychic work, you know, it doesn't always look pretty, you know, or it can come out like it is a lot. Sometimes there's like a lot of nonsense or like, you know, it's, it's like improv- it's like it happens in the moment. You can't plan it ahead. If yeah. You're doing, if you're really doing it, you can't plan it ahead. You don't know what's going to happen. And, like, people who were attending circles back in the day, part of the thrill was, like, yeah, 
sometimes you'd go and it felt like a flop or, you know, and mm-hmm. a common thing that was said was like, oh, there, you know, there must be somebody throwing it off in the room, yeah. which is, which is totally real. Like, but that was also, they said know, that a lot back then, you and know, commentators like, were like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> like, uh, but you know, like it was really important, like who's sitting next to who at the mm-hmm. table, the balance of genders yeah. and, um, you know, there's so much that goes into this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to respect it even when it is an outright fraud, mm-hmm. you know, and like, I, I had professors be like, you know, like, okay, Grace, so you're like defending this work, but like, but what about like the fakers or whatever? And I was like, I love the fakers too, because um, like, it's still preparing the body to receive, you know, like, and, and connect. And so it's like, I've had readings that I didn't think were that good, but it, it's still like, gave me contact with something that I crave. And mm-hmm. like, I always feel like information flows through despite the intentions of even the pr- practitioner. It's like, there's this date with the divine that's happening. And I don't l- even love the word divine because I like it. Sometimes it feels too, yeah, elevated or something, you know, or like, or separate or other. Like mm-hmm. when, um, yeah, I view everything as sacred, but um, yeah, I I have a respect for everybody performing this work, and I think performing is a keyword. Mm-hmm. And um, they are performance artists. Um, Remember in the book club, there was a guy who's a magician and practiced and, and did an immensalist, and he did performance seances. Remember that? No. So in the book club, there was a guy, and he was so cool. It was so cool to have him in the club, like seriously studying. You know, we, we did six months, and each month there was at least two or three books, and we one we focused on, and then a bunch of extras. And you know, he did. He was a performing artist and did seances that everybody knew he wasn't doing real mediumship, right? Like it's like he says, "I'm a mentalist, and I'm." you know, this is a performance you're coming to. So it isn't, it's a little different than fraud, but it's, I, I found it really interesting talking with him because he, he's like, look, I don't believe in this stuff, but I'm telling you, sometimes I'm up there faking it and stuff would happen. Totally. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, I love hearing that. And like, I have a friend who's a medium who, yeah, um, doesn't think that the raps you know like so like you know like the middle fox sister maggie she she came out at one point and was like we've been making these sounds with our toe joints and she did demonstrations of that and it was in a time in her life when she needed money and she needed work um and so that's important context um but there were earlier articles like there is an article right at the beginning of their practice um about like an aunt that was like yeah they showed me how they did it like <laughs> you know like at a at a family gathering and um but my friend was like you know I think the fox sisters didn't know that they were psychics mm-hmm. and like one thing you know apart from the raps um so many reports are like these girls are mind readers or you know like what maybe we would um 
maybe we would call them empaths today, but like for years they sat in intimate spaces attuning themselves to the room and deeply feeling, you know, like their sitters and, um, you know, it's like, I, I don't understand how you could practice that and not develop, um, intuitive ability, like, and, but like commentators continually dismiss the mind reading as like, well, that's not a big deal. Like, like, have you tried that? Like, what we're actually looking for is, like, you know, the physical evidence. Because, like, I mean, that was on the table from the beginning with these raps. Like, um, they wanted to, like, scientifically prove the existence of spirit. And so things like what we call their clairvoyance or, like, their ability to read people, um, that was, like, not as exciting. But, like, that's something, yeah. It, there's so many accounts of that you know and like you know for example like uh like the fox sisters would have these extended engagements where they would just work really intimately with one person you know who'd lost somebody and if you think about that grief work and like the skill that they must have had because Absolutely. like um you know dealing with these people who had gone through you know tremendous losses in their life and like they they could do that work they learned how to do it they collectively taught themselves how to hold space and um yeah the people who are just calling them frauds or or just throwing their work out like need to pay attention to um what was actually going on in those spaces and the healing work mm-hmm. um, that they were engaged in. Um, and that reminds me of, we actually talked about this on the show last week with Joanna, of like stepping away from the like proof question and more like what happens, what's the output, what happens. And what happened with them is they changed the world <laughs> with yeah. what they did. You know, like they created a new type of, mediumship and they changed it so that anybody can do it um that women could do it you know like the output and they had clients they worked with for years and like what's a better proof than that like to me like that that's all I care about I know it's constantly even within spiritualist community I feel like there's a lot of I guess it's less within the community but in you know psychic or occult community like a lot of back and forth on if they're frauds or you know whatever and I'm just like it takes up so much space why why is that the question like they're amazing like I mean I wish like (laughs) I I think about how like all these circles existed like we call them grief circles even you know or just spaces where seekers could engage with each other and meet each other and talk about their practices or you know what they were feeling and like it's like especially like today in our experience of like COVID and all all these things that have happened over the last few years like don't you wish like there was some public space where you could like sit and meet new people and and connect with people who have gone through the same traumas and um yeah search together and collectively express your 
I mean, <laughs> my circles are my favorite social, occult, magical, you know, artistic, political communities. Because it's like, I know it, it's different than it used to be where there's really firm membership and you always had to show up and you know the the rules are different it's like whoever can come comes and I, most of them are open and you know like it's different but I don't think there's a much better in terms of like really getting true quality social time than that kind of work like sitting talking about things you care about holding hands together and singing. holding hands with people like like um these spaces could be mixed race they're you know like we were just talking about promiscuous like but there's working class people holding hands with upper class people and like that like occult work as a site of social mixing is really important to me mm -hmm. and it's something that our community I think deserves credit for is our ability to just bring so many different folks to the table and to get them to sort of harmonize together and to realize that like yeah what we all have in common is like you know, all this fear of the unknown and yeah. and this desire to know and connect and um everybody has lost somebody or will lose somebody um and none of us have the answers no and we're all just looking yeah together it's not that fun to look alone no. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool to get to sit here and talk about this with you. Yeah. I mean, we kind of do this. We, all the time. I mean, we met over a screen, <laughs> yeah. though, and now we're sitting side by yes. side in Lilydale, New York. Yep. Right here. In Tiffany's home, where. Yeah other mystics have come together you know like. for generations right not on this same table actually but yeah in this very room a long time in this space which is like kind of reminds me of what we started with and talking about going to the places that matter to you and it, it's making socializing me with our yeah our dead like come took Lilydale too if you haven't already this is making me want to say like yeah. come here and yeah. like do this with us and come visit and see what's like with the other people who are obsessed with the same stuff and have the same questions and like we're all the same kind of weirdos if we're, yeah if we're here if you're still <laughs> listening to this you're our kind of weirdo and come visit yeah. <laughs> thanks so much grace Thanks for having me, yeah. Tiff. Do you want to tell them where they can find you? Do you want people to find you? If oh, not yeah. here next time. Um, they come? I am on Instagram as Athena Planoia. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, because, but um, my website is under development, in development, underdeveloped. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do have a fun cover page on there. Um, so you can check that out at gracecardell.com. And I will be, you know, developing that. Um, Even a little slowly, busy. you know. Yeah. Mediumship takes a long time to develop. So it does. Uh, websites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I put a link to your thesis in the show notes? Oh, yeah. Cool. 
for yeah. those of you who are who are interested can read it it's phenomenal such a great read um thank you again for being here thanks for you. coming with me on friday to hydesville bearing that weather thanks to your familiars oh Cleo yeah and sylvester i got a cat in my lap right here oh. the whole time he's been sneezing and thanks everyone for listening it's been fun watching whatever modality and uh yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> See you next week.